Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! to another edition of the internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. I am your host, Greg, and we are here to talk about what might be the most uniformly positive No Reservations podcast in since the Champions League final. I don't know. We were pretty happy at certain points last year, but, you know. Before the Champions League final. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, but like we don't have to worry about this guy that our mom's dating that we don't like very much like we did last year, so... You know, pretty positive podcast. Uh, leading us off to talk about uh, all this, we've got uh, coming to us live from the state of Georgia. It is Ben Daniels. Ben, uh, how how was it experiencing just a almost uniformly positive match for Tottenham Hotspur? Uh, yeah, I didn't really know what to do with myself, um, but like I haven't found myself standing up in my living room like yelling at the TV in anxiety probably since like the end of Amsterdam. Like it was like that level of anxiety, excitement, whatever for me. And I haven't felt that in a really long time. And that was wild to find myself doing that. Brian, at what point during this game were you missing the defensive solidity of Jose Mourinho? (laughs) Um, What point? Like uh, probably about five minutes before we kicked off. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it was fun. It was. I, I know that Ben feeds off of negativity, so I felt like that he personally must have not. Ben was been that was that it, which increased my enjoyment of it. But other than that, was that you on that History Channel uh, documentary, Ben, the, the guy who thrives off negativity with all the masks on his face? Was that you, Ben? I don't get the reference, and I, I won't respond oh. to it. I thought you. I always thought Ben was the most online of all of us, but apparently not. So, oh, it's definitely you. Okay, well that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, I, 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 this was just kind of a strange game to watch in that it was just not what I expected. I, 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 I think that uh, with my Kaylee impression there, I, I think that it was probably a good time to play Manchester City because you know I. Honestly, I thought they looked their most threatening when De Bruyne came on very late. But, you know, even though they weren't sorted out, we just looked way better. I mean, this is the most thought out a Tottenham team has played in a while. And we had some decent games under Mourinho, especially at the beginning of last year. But just seeing us with this kind of coherent plan, I mean, I don't think it's a... I don't think it's wild to say that Nuno outcoached Guardiola in this game. I mean, maybe that's a little over my skis but it's I think we looked good I think we looked really good and I think it was really very extremely encouraging when you consider everything that's gone on this summer between the managerial search and Harry Kane I mean one of the things that I think we've all kind of dismissed I know I certainly have dismissed was you know one of the sort of more positive outcomes of Nuno managing Spurs is like okay well what's he going to do with a better roster because Whatever you think about Nuno and the teams he's coached, this is the best roster he's ever had to work with, with or without Harry Kane. And, you know, it's one game. You don't want to get carried away, but early returns are pretty promising. 
I think we want to get carried away. Yeah, let's do it. Like, why not? Like, we don't have to be mad about Mourinho. We shoved it up Harry's ass for a week. You know, it's you know, like, why get worried about anything? Yeah, absolute masterclass. I mean, probably the best manager I've ever seen. I mean, that win percentage line. is second to none, quite literally. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it was not all roses. Like, we were rocky at at the beginning but like as soon as we got our our legs under us and like settled into the rhythm of the game we played it exactly the way we wanted to you know i am not the world's biggest fan of like the kind of football that we played in general just having to be defensive and countering but it's man city they're very good sometimes you need to do shit like that um and you know, we were just tremendously well organized to execute the plan that Nuno wanted us to play. And that was really a big change from the Jose Mourinho years. Like under Jose, we knew what he wanted us to do, which was to sit very deep and defend and hope somebody did something magical. And we often did it, but nobody ever looked comfortable doing it nobody ever looked like this is what they wanted to be doing and as a result we saw countless defensive lapses and individual errors um or games that we were on the front foot for and just couldn't make a goal happen or you know blew it in the last minutes this didn't feel like we were going to do that at any point like it felt like we were capable of doing what we wanted to um, I didn't feel like it was inevitable that in the 89th minute we were going to concede a goal. Like, I just didn't ever have that feeling. Well, I think that's a big difference, I think, between what we saw this weekend and sort of what we saw under Mourinho. And, I mean, I don't want to say Mourinho didn't get any results when he was at Spurs, but compare that City win he had last year where it was 2-0. You know, I mean, that is like, it's we're going to defend deep, we're going to hold out, we're going to hope for the best and hope something breaks down and we get lucky. I mean, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but I don't think I'm that oversimplifying that much. I mean, this felt like a plan. This didn't feel like theft, which is what I would say even that 2-0 against City felt like. Like, we were, that felt like a game where we sort of undeservedly converted our our two shots or two out of three shots and sort of stole one from, that we were wildly outplayed. I don't think, and Brian, I'm interested to hear what you think about this because I don't think we were wildly outplayed. I think after the first 20 or so minutes, we were about as in control of that game as a counterattacking side can be. And I didn't really feel really threatened until De Bruyne came on extremely late. Well, yeah. And, I mean, it took him till what, the 74th minute for City to get a shot on target. And, you know, look, City had more of the ball. And like Ben said, that's just what City are going to do. And I, I don't think until De Bruyne came on that I really felt that much of their possession was particularly threatening. Like, I, I mean, look, initially in the game, you see um, Grealish and Sterling kind of doubling up on um, Tanganga's flank, and you're like, oh, this isn't going to go well. And they had a couple of good combinations with Mendy down that side, and you thought, uh, maybe this is where we get overrun here. And it just didn't happen we kind of grew into the game everybody under seemed to understand their role and and what they were expected to do in the system and, and within the shape and and like you said after the first 15 20 minutes we started to get our feet under us in terms of going forward 
um, and and transitioning from defense to attack, and it looked a lot better. Um, I would have liked to see us uh, possess the ball a little better. Would have liked to see us, you know, exert a little more control in midfield, given that you know Grealish wasn't really playing in there, um, and we had more bodies in there. But uh, you know, I I think for a first official competitive game under a new manager with honestly mostly the same team as last year this team looked you know miles ahead of of where they were under Mourinho just in terms of you know confidence or or, or you know like just looking at body language I would which I know we hate to do but like you know I Look, we played Eric Dyer and Davinson Sanchez in central defense against Manchester City and kept a clean sheet. And I know it's Manchester City without an Aguero or a Kane or whatever, but it's still Manchester City and it's still Davinson Sanchez and Eric Dyer. So, you know, to to come away from that game with not only a clean sheet, but also like not even really, really any moments where you felt like in peril. I, I mean, that's great. I can't think of a single like think about those two players. I can't think of a single thing that happened with Eric Dyer, which is, I'm not saying nothing happened, but I think that's a compliment to how he played. And the only thing I can think about Sanchez is that amazing slide tackle he had at the end of the game, which was really well-timed and done. And I can't think of anything else that happened with him. And considering the kind of games we've I mean, had he did out of this, Pep Guardiola in the middle of the match. That's true. <laughs> but considering the kind of games we've had out of those two defenders in the past, it's it's a real credit to Nuno how well they played. Now, maybe that's just a product of, okay, guys, we're not going to play a rear guard action for 80 minutes out of 90. And I'm still not prepared to, like, not want to upgrade on those guys because I think we're going to need a better player alongside Romero. But it does make you think, what if we don't just do this, like, you know, Jose Mourinho, let's play right in front of your goal bullshit for an entire game. Yeah, and... I think the thing that was exciting to see about guys like Davinson is that it was like a level of commitment that, you know, a guy who we've been trying to sell all summer and has had a really rough couple of years, you know, everybody was like throwing themselves into mm-hmm. slide tackles, you know, at the end of the game. Um, Literally half but, the team on that last play that ends with Davinson's slide tackle. Like half the team is trying to tackle him, which – if it doesn't end with that, maybe it's a little comical. But like, like you said, the effort was there, right? And it's like, yeah, it's easy to get it up for Man City. Let's see what happens when we're playing Burnley and whatever. But like, that's what you want to see. And like, we only have one game to go on, and that kind of mentality stuff is something that was definitely lacking um, by the end of the Jose, by the beginning of the Jose tenure, but certainly <laughs> by the end. Um, and it was just like super encouraging to see. Um, I mean, Delhi was a, a man possessed, throwing himself into tackles all over the pitch, um, and it's just—it was really nice to remind ourselves that there is a player there that we've been squandering for a really long time, um, and to see him come out and and fuck shit up the way he did uh, was awesome. And I mean, I know Delhi's been playing in that role in preseason, um, but I mean, there's a difference between playing that role against. Uh, I don't know, Peterborough or whoever the hell we played, um, then playing it against, you know, the, the Premier League champions and, you know, Fernandinho and Ilkay Gundogan and, and, and those guys. Like, uh, 
we've always wondered, like, can Deli Alley play, you know, this sort of midfield role, or is he a second striker? Is he a number ten? What? I, I mean, if that's if how he played against City is the role that he is going to fulfill for this Spurs team, I, I I'm more than happy to see it. Um, I think you know, obviously, you'd want him on the ball a little more, and you'd want him becoming a little more involved in attacks than he probably was in this match. But I have to imagine that's down to just like it's city. playing city mm-hmm. and you know your tactical remit is hey don't get caught too far upfield don't get too fancy like just you know stay home nowhere nowhere going to want is at all times and make sure he can't dribble you know and i i think he had the most tackles he ran the most distance like i mean it was he was great he was he was he was amazing i think the thing the word that i probably use is really just express my surprise more than anything is the discipline from everybody was almost top to bottom, like just remarkable for a guy who's coached the team for a short amount of time in our first game. Like besides Oliver Skip's ill-advised two-handed shove at the top of the box at the very beginning of the match that was lucky not to give away a penalty, I felt like everybody seemed disciplined in their role. And I was effective at it, as, as well as you'd like, and I think that'll come. But, you know, I think one of the things that was really impressive to me is at the end of the game, as we were trying to close out the game, we were, everybody was incredibly patient on the ball. You know, we weren't just like hoofing it long and like just giving it back to Man City and letting them come on us and like relying on a rear guard action. Like we were actually still breaking forward in similar ways. And then when we got there, we were very patiently passing our way towards the corner to hold the ball. You know, we weren't taking dumb, dumb shots to give the ball away. Um, and then when we did turn the ball over, everybody, you know, knew their job and how to close down, you know, the break the other direction. Um, you know, when we were defending throughout the game, you could see very clearly our three lines of four, three, three with that narrow front three pressing and that midfield flat three and our back four and the way everybody moved to funnel city into the touch lines. And that was the only way we were allowing city to attack for the entire game. Again, there were a few breakdowns. Sometimes they got the kinds of chances you don't want them to get, but we maintained that shape and that structure so well. Um, And then, you know, on top of that, we just got very lucky having, amazing performances out of a guy like Javit Tanganga, who having now funneled everybody to the wing and you have Mendy and Grealish and Sterling on him, that he was up to the task of just I don't, I wanna, all of their lunches. I actually want to give Tanganga and Nuno a little bit of credit on that because, I mean, you're right that he had a great game and we were a little bit lucky that happened, but we heard after the game that Nuno told him, like, Sterling's not fit yet. Sterling can't handle you right now. Like, kick his ass today. You know, I mean, not in those words, but, like, get physical. And, I mean, Tanganga gave, like, the Eric Lamella memorial performance where he's like, how close can I get to a card without actually getting it? There was a point at which I was really confused because at that point, because of my son, I was watching the match on mute. And, like, the ref called... I can't remember the last time I've seen this. He called Hugo over to be like, tell him to cool it. Tell Tanganga to cool it because he's going to get carded if he doesn't. And he was just kicking their asses all day. I mean, Tanganga, he was talking about, and I was honestly not opposed to it. They were talking about giving him a loan so he could get a whole season of starts. 
I mean, you got to sort out whoever you feel like your other right back is. If you could live with Doherty or, you know, you just want to, like, ride out Aurier's contract or you want to go buy Tomiyasu or something. But, you know, after this week, I don't see how Tangang is not one of your right backs. I mean, he had a hell of a performance. And I think, honestly, I, if you want to look for where I would give Spurs a ton of credit is, like, I would look at Grealish. Because Grealish came into, like, one of the best teams in the world with one of the best, probably the best coach in the world. And... That guy didn't look you know, like he he didn't look like he knew whether to stick or twist all day. He, I mean, and that's understandable. We shouldn't give him too much stick, but that Spurs team, like you said, Ben, they knew exactly what to do all day. Those those guys were committed, and frankly, we're talking about a lot of people who were on you know sort of the island of misfit toys last year. Who I couldn't tell you what they were supposed to do. I mean, I think it is of enormous credit to Lucas and um, Stephen Bergvine how good they looked and. I think they both still have some stuff they need to work out. But that was a coherent, really effective attack. And I think, frankly, they could have scored another goal or two the way they were playing. Um, you know, Bergvine, I think, still think has the yips in front of goal. But for a guy who has basically only been allowed to play glorified wingback, I mean, finally he was allowed to be an attacker. And he had some excellent moves. I mean, he really helped connect for that goal that Son ended up scoring. I was super impressed with this team. Not only were they really like, you know, like you said, Ben, they, they really seemed to understand what Nuno wanted them to do. And he really had them drilled and ready for it. But considering they built around sun as a focal point, and that's probably what we're going to see this year. I mean, this feels like this is sun Spurs team now. I mean, I, I'm probably getting carried away with, you know, all the sort of hate. Lucas's first team. Yeah. Well that too, but all the hate floating around uh, for Harry Kane. But I thought Lu- I thought Sun looked very dangerous all day. And I think Lucas, I mean, outside of Amsterdam and a few performances where he'd just gone off, this was some, one of the more tactically coherent performances Lucas has ever given us. And I'm... Well, I, go ahead, Brian. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think, look, if, you, if you're going to be nitpicky about stuff, you, you would say that, you know, the attack was fine, um, but we didn't make the most of... a. Uh, a pretty good number of our attacking opportunities. Um, and I think Sun said that in his post-game interview where he said, you know, we need to make better decisions. Um, you know, we need to do better on some of those attacks. Me in particular, or me especially, was I, th- I believe what his quote was. You know, so, you know, there were a couple, especially in the first half, where, you know, we worked the ball into the box and then no yeah. shot ended up happening. And I think that's that is going to be a struggle for Spurs as we're constructed right now um, where, you know, who is getting the shots, who is getting in the box and, and converting, you know, in the area around the goal. Like it's, it's great that Sonny is able to get these long Rangers and is able to finish them. We've seen before that that's not necessarily sustainable. Now can Sun convert this to, you know, getting high XG opportunities in the box, uh, you know, getting on the end of opportunities um, on the counterattack, or, you know, do you need a player like uh, Martinez, like Vlahovic, like Kate, like whoever that person is, do you need somebody that's a shot getter in the box? I think the answer right now for Spurs is yes. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing. I think if you, if you want to nitpick about this performance between that and then skip, who I'm sure we'll come on to, well, um, you know, you, when that's you consider what you want that, to see improve. I think when you consider that our actual striker that we have on our books was, you know, not able to slither through the grass like usual, you know, it's, 
it's understandable that we weren't able to sort of field that kind of team. And hopefully if he's, you know, if he slithers up to Manchester, you know, we'll, we'll get a real striker that, you know, hopefully it would be a guy like Martinez or Isaac, but you know, but we'll even see. if like Kane is in this team and, and you know, look, Kane is like the one of the best, if not the best striker in football. Like uh, that, I'm not saying that this team would be worse with him in the team, but like, the way that this played today, you know, against City doesn't quite work the same. Uh, I mean, Harry Kane, for all the things that he is, you know, his legs come and go. And, I mean, he hasn't had all that much time off. He had a long summer. And we saw in the Euros that he really didn't have the the the, the legs to get forward uh, in the same way that this team needs right now or the way that this this match called for, um, and, you know, yeah, look, does he drop deep and do some playmaking stuff and maybe would it have worked anyway? Yeah, probably. Um, but you know, he's not that guy that, that, that is running with Kane or with, or with son Lucas and Bergvine and getting up there and getting into the box. Not, I mean, he maybe. So we'll, we'll get to Kane later. I do want to talk about the attackers who were out there. Ben, what was your, I mean, Bergvine is a guy who I think some of us were ready to get rid of. Some of us thought needed a chance. What was your thoughts on him? Because I thought he was, a, I thought he had a very interesting performance this, this weekend. Yeah. I mean, Bergvine continues to be a little frustrating. Um, and you just keep hoping that he'll find that extra gear and figure out what exactly he is. Because, like, right now we had Lucas, whose job was just to carry the ball, and Son, whose job was largely just to receive the ball and be the lone shot getter. Because, like Brian said, nobody else was really taking shots out there. Um, and Bergvine is, like, kind of doing a little bit of both, and he's not a great dribbly winger. He's not a great long-distance shooter. He's not a great get-in-the-box-and-find-spaces shooter. And so, like, I feel like the way Nuno is trying to construct this team, he really needs to have more of an identity to, like, really start to shine. Like, I don't think – I still believe that he has a ceiling that's higher than what Lucas's is. But, you know, if we get a striker and someone has to hit the bench, it's going to be Bergvine. Like, on the back of that performance, the thing that Lucas does, Bergvine hasn't shown he can do yet. Um but, you know, if Lucas is out of the team, Bergvine has shown that, like, he has that in his locker. And we've been seeing more and more of it. And you kind of hope that he can, like, take that leap. All that said, I thought he had a very good game. He is very well-rounded. So he did a, a lot of different things pretty well. Um, you know, he picked a nice pass for Son, for Son to score his goal. Son obviously still had a lot, lot of work and a lot of time on the ball before he took the shot. But... You know, Bergwijn knew exactly where that ball needed to go next on the break. Um, you know, when the ball was at his feet in the second half, um, he struggled a little bit in the first half to get on the ball. But in the second half, he was doing a lot better job contributing to those counters and driving with the ball at his feet. Um, and there's just clearly a player in there. And I don't – I still don't know what that player is going to be, but I, I am – hopeful that it's going to be somebody and it's going to be a good valuable component to this team um and if we don't have a striker you know it's it, it worked against man city 
you hope just giving him time on the pitch with these guys in this team that he'll he'll be able to figure that out. Brian, do you think Lucas can be a sustainable part of a successful attack at Tottenham Hotspur after watching this game? Or is that just getting carried away with one good performance like we've seen him do before? Look, I think Lucas is and has always been a useful player. He fulfills a very specific type of role, and he has to be utilized in a specific sort of way. Um, But he can do a job, you know, in the same way that, like, you know, I don't know, Ben's favorite player, Aaron Lennon, you know, is like he 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 was fast and he could get down the wing to the byline and he could put in a cross that was maybe occasionally find somebody in the middle. Um, I think for this system, Lucas getting the ball as an outlet and then and then being asked to dribble and progress the ball up the field is going to work a lot of times. Uh, you know, most teams do not have Fernandinho in the middle of the park. And I know that we're talking about old Fernandinho, who is not as mobile as he was, um, but he is still, you know, positionally and tactically one of the best defensive midfielders in the Premier League. Um, and and Lucas put him in the spin cycle a couple times. And, you know, like, if he can do that against good defensive midfielders, you know, I, I'm reasonably confident that he will maintain the ability to do that against, you know, average to below average defensive midfielders like anybody that plays for Arsenal or you know you know anybody that plays at Newcastle or Burnley or Norwich or whatever like I think I I, I think in the role that Nuno wants to use him in he can be fine do would would I like to upgrade on him yeah absolutely um you know but what 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 are our options you know yeah, I think there's also a question of context with Lucas. Is like the things he's good at are direct running in space. And when we play a Newcastle or a Burnley, what kind of space is he going to have in front of him? And can he be useful when there's eight bodies between him and the goal instead of three? You know, th- those are questions that Lucas needs to answer for him to be like really good Lucas and not just the frustrating Lucas who sometimes shows Clucus. up and is amazing. Yeah. Sam Lucas. Yeah. Sam yeah. Lucas. His, his his clone brother. Um, now, I thought one thing that was interesting that struck me as different from what we've seen from Lucas a lot of times was he's not like he was making smarter decisions about where and when to run. He wasn't like disappearing down cul-de-sacs and like trying to take on two more defenders than he should. Which, like you said, Ben, he's not like running into a packed Newcastle defense, but. It it seemed a little different to me, which I think brings I think us to the next point of the conversation. This we we I think we've talked about explicitly and implicitly this whole podcast. This all felt different under Nuno. I mean, it's one game. I don't want to get carried away. Obviously, I feel like the preseason went all right, but like I, this all feels better, right? I mean, both from like what we're watching on the field and like how he carries himself as our manager. I mean. I was just so thunderstruck when, I mean, I was, the good feelings were flowing after the match, but the way he gets out there, and I think in, in America, at least, the, they started interviewing him on, on the broadcast, and they were talking about how he nailed it and got it right, and he was like, well, you know, it's the players, they need to execute it. Like, he just instantly goes into talking about it. and it was, I mean, it's nothing revolutionary, it's Coach Talk 101, but, God, I mean, it, it it's not just me, right, this is a super 
breath of fresh air after Mourinho. I mean, this is this is like what we had with Ryan Mason, but oh, he's actually a professional. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we talked about like the bar is kind of on the floor, you know, for him to clear, and you know, okay, fine, but like the bar is what the bar is, and he's, you know, like just to have any level of professionalism is. I don't know. It's it's enjoyable. Like the press conferences aren't as interesting now. Like I'm not I'm not now as interested to hear the quotes that, you know, Nuno's gonna give. Like I know he's gonna give you non answers about Harry Kane. He's gonna say, Oh, he's our player until he's not our player and you know, he trained and I don't know what he's doing now and you you're gonna get, like you said, coach speak. But I'd just much rather coach speak and 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 not coach speak where you're like oh it's just about effort and application and you know he talks about you know in the interview on american broadcast television he talked about you know the tactical setup a little bit and that you know they had to be disciplined and you know they'd trained for this and they 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 knew what the plan was and that they'd gone out and executed and it wasn't he didn't say like oh we wanted it more than them you know it was about passion it was about you know getting stuck in like he 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 was much more astute about his observations than you know than Orion Mason. But there's you know, and again, I am probably just buying into the good feelings after a match. There is something about when he was leaving the field after the game, and he's like high fiving all the fans and looking genuinely delighted. And there was something about it that, and I don't know how much of it I'm just reading into what I want to read into it. It just felt more genuine than under Mourinho. We're like. It felt like he was genuinely excited and he was pumped and he was happy to like high five a bunch of fans as he went into the locker room. And it didn't feel performative. It didn't feel cynical. It felt like this guy's thrilled to be here. Like, you know, he's waiting. I mean, most people aren't sociopaths. Like, I mean, that's. Yeah, but after after two years of it, it's just, or however fucking, like, you know, 50 years of Jose Mourinho or however long it was, it feels longer because we had to actually we're forced to talk about it for an hour every week, but God, it just felt, it's so refreshing. He feels like whatever else you want to say about it, it feels like he's a decent dude. who's at least like happy to be here. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's such a change of pace from, I mean, we got a little bit of it with Mason, but we all knew that wasn't permanent. And like you said, Ryan, Brian, he wasn't like professional. So, you know, it's, I don't know. It's I one, enjoyed it. Is it's all one saying. game, and it's a, an amazing result. It's easy for everybody to be nice and feel good after that. You know, it's a lot harder when things go wrong. And I'm not trying to rain on the parade, but you know, it's like the circumstances. And I mean, good for Nuno are that's exactly what you need to like get the massive buy-in from fickle fans like yourself. Who, yes, yes, you know, absolutely. It's just like. Oh, you took me out for ice cream? Great. You can date my mom as long as you want. <laughs> it's just, you both had very weird You're the time. boyfriend that I like that my mom is dating. <laughs> like, that's what Nuno is right now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, like you said, Coach 101 is when the team does well, the players did a good job. When the team does badly, you take the blame. And Jose Mourinho was the exact opposite because he's a sociopath. And... Yeah, it's great to see him hitting those marks from day one. There was, um, if you listen to Alistair Gold, he talked a little bit about, like, it feels a little bit like the early days of Pochettino. And I think what he means by that is Nuno seems happy to be here. And I think that's how Pochettino was when he first got here. It's like, you know, it's, it's, he enjoys it. He's like, he's, he understands this is a bit of a step up for him. And it's like, it's, it's still, you know, I think I think you could see that with him. It's like it's it's a despite how the coaching search went, he's like 
thrilled to be here. And quite frankly, after how Wolves ended, he should be thrilled to be here. But, you know, I think that translates to the fans. He, he's enjoying it, so so are we. And it's, but it, again, whatever the reason, it's, it's, it's genuinely sort of a pleasure to watch him sort of talk about the team and to think that how close we were to, like, Gattuso. <laughs> yeah, which, like, I hope the extra inch guys take some sort of, like, ownership of this win because... If it weren't for them, we might have been watching Gattuso, like, you know, try to, like, bludgeon Manchester City to death in a bad way. Um, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's very, I'm very happy to see, at least for now, Nuno seems like a good guy. And that makes all the difference in the world after two years of Mourinho being both a shithead and failing to deliver. So uh, you want to talk about stuff from the game that wasn't great, or do we just want to like? Yeah, I think part? Oliver Skip has been getting. I, I and I, I'm just kind of torn on this because on the one hand, I think people have been making a lot of excuse or pretending he was a lot better than he was, but I'm a little reluctant to criticize him too much because it's his first game in the Premier League as a starter, in the first game of a manager's tactical setup against Pep Guardiola's City, so. I don't think Skip was great. I don't think Skip had the... I think he's probably our worst player on the field. I also think he got better as the game went on, or at least was less of a detriment to the team as the game went on. But I'm torn. I think he was not good, but also I think some people are getting a little carried away about how bad he was. Or at least they're not reading it all in context. Brian, you seem like dying to like sink your teeth. Yeah, yeah, no, I just want to go all. Mason's gone. Mason's gone. He needs to talk about. Yeah, I need somebody to. This is the man now who's blocking the development of Alfie Devine, and he's like Uh, supplementing. Even though it's like totally different roles and whatever. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, look, I think I think the thing with Skip is, um, unlike how you have Jeff at Tanganga, who um, you know has come into the team in some difficult games. And looked largely up to up to speed, up to the pace of the game. I think that was Skip's problem. Is that is that the game seemed quick for him? He seemed a step behind, and I think we've seen it in you know, for a lot of promoted teams in the past, for a lot of players making the jump from the championship to the Premier League. Like the game's just played at a different pace. The athletes are, you know much better i mean we're talking about you know not just not not that, not that the players in the championship aren't good but the players in the premier league are on a different level and and so i think ultimately that's his issue and that's the thing that he needs to do to get his performances up to snuff is he just needs the game needs to slow down for him. I don't know how you accomplish that. I thought he got um, better at it. I thought, thought he caught up with the pace of the game as it went on. Don't you? I mean, I don't know if you ever, I mean, got I think the game slowed be, down but... because like players got tired and then he just kind of fell into line with that. I mean, the thing is, is like, it's not just about athleticism at the Premier League level. It's that the speed of everything is like the speed of thought is faster. Yeah, the, absolutely. the time on the ball is quicker you know, so your reading of the game when you're used to people taking the number of touches they may need at a championship level before releasing an attacker is not the same as when, you know, a an elite midfielder at Manchester City gets the ball and then quickly dishes it out, you know, to somebody up the pitch. 
Um, and those are the kinds of things that like, yeah, your prior experience is just maybe doesn't prepare you for, for how quickly the ball moves. Um, and, you know, I think he was definitely playing chase a little bit at the beginning of the match, but I, I, I never, other than that two handed shove that almost gave away a penalty, like right off the bat, I never felt like he was like a liability. You know, he missed some tackles. He wasn't very useful with the ball, but I don't remember him making like dangerous giveaways in dangerous areas. I don't remember him like missing vital tackles, you know, as someone was breaking into the box. Like he mostly did his job positionally in front of the back line, funneling guys to the parts of the pitch where they needed to be. And when he had the ball, getting it to Tanganga or Hoiberg or Delhi to let them move the ball where it needed to go. And like it, he had one pretty bad giveaway where he passed it right to Gundawan. And then he ended up m- making the clearance to relieve the pressure in that oper- on that, on that. So, so yeah, like, like that was the only one that sticks out in my mind, but he ended up making amends for it. But, and I agree with you, Ben, I think that, you know, he certainly wasn't a liability in the way that we came to think of Harry Winks yeah. or Musa Sissoko. Um, I, I watched multiple times as he tracked runners into the box instead of jogging lazily behind the play. You know, I, I didn't see much from him in terms of passing or ball progression because I think he was very safe. Um, in terms of who he was getting it to and, 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 and the, you know, what he was trying to do. And again, I don't know. Or what he was asked to do. Like Exactly. Uh, you know, and I, I think certainly if you told me that's what he had been assigned to do, I would understand that, you know, against City, that's your remit. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm certainly I mean, not writing him off. He's, he's 21 years old or he's 20. He'll be 21 in a month. Like, there's a lot to like look at and go like, okay, yeah, this kid can do this, but he just needs to, he, he needs to continue to progress. I think the, the thing that we saw with a lot of Spurs midfield uh, Academy products in the past, i.e. Mason uh, winks, et cetera, is they get to this level where they can be competent midfielders um, at a certain level and then they stagnate. And so can skip get to, Premier League competent and then continue to grow and develop into something else. I think that's the challenge that Spurs have because even if Wings had a decent game, I mean, I think I would have stood by like Lo Celso at a minimum and probably also in, I mean, yes, also in Ndombele need to be starting over skip most of the year, barring rotation and injuries and all that other stuff. So, you know, Spurs need to be getting skip regular minutes because I thought he did get better as the game went on. I thought decision-making did improve, even if it's maybe not where it needs to be. And they need to be getting him more minutes so that can continue. And I think Skip's got a valuable role on this team, and I think injuries are probably going to end up with him getting plenty of starts. But, you know, it's, it's that trick of he's probably not, shouldn't be in our first 11 if everybody's fit, but also we need to find time for him. I mean, you know, we have the conference league. We have a game on Thursday, which we can get to if we want. But, you know, he'll have opportunities in, in matches like that, in cup matches. Hoybier should not play 9,000 minutes next season. Like, and Oliver Skip is the guy who should be his backup. You know, Lo Celso and Ndombele 
God love them, have injury records. Um, you know, there will be games for Skip this year. I mean, we found games for Sosoko and Harry Winks. Like, I'm not worried about it. The fact that he's already playing over them is great and hugely encouraging. Um, you know, I think, I think nothing that Oliver Skip did jeopardized the game plan that we did. Well, and pushing, pushing like Grealish good, in the back, but other than that, like, yeah, but like, you know, just positionally, functionally, he was not like, you know, the one guy no. out of position every time we tried to do something. Like he, he wasn't, did his job competently. He, he wasn't, wasn't getting good, waxed, but that's constantly. fine. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like Swinks like, where you're constantly like, where are you? What are you doing? But And and I mean, I like that he's able to play the holder role and in, in this particular match, you know, got to free up uh, Hoiberg to, you know, stray out of midfield a little bit and break stuff up to play a little bit more as a as an eight to to do some of the stuff that he did for Denmark in the Euros. Um, you know, I don't think that's the best use of Hoiberg's talent and I think you know if if one of Los Celso or Ndombele had been deemed you know 90 minutes fit we would have seen um, Hoiberg holding and and then Los Celso playing or, or Ndombele uh, playing as a, as the eight but uh, you know if that's something if this is something we have to do in matches to play Skip and and Hoiberg together it's not awful no, again, we fucking beat Man City. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. To, it's hard to call anything awful. Um, so the question now is: Are, are Spurs going to win the league at a canter, or do you think anyone's going to challenge us for it? Brentford, uh, maybe. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. They look I mean, really look, good. I, I think it's it's a mistake to overhype Brentford just because they won a relegation six pointer, but it was an impressive performance from a promoted team. Ben, does your does your wife just tune out when Arsenal has an embarrassing loss like that, or does it does it bother her on any level? Uh, I mean, it definitely bothers her. I try not to like dig at her over it. Do you? Why? Why? Do I mean, like, because like she's nice to me when like Spurs have a shitty day. Like, I do love her. She is my wife. Well, don't let but... your weakness get in the way of how you should treat an Arsenal fan, Ben. Come on. That was. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give her brother shit for it. Absolutely. Oh, there you go. I mean, I don't know. I'd be very concerned if I was an Arsenal fan. I mean, even if you get Odegaard back, that's. I I mean, boy, they they are in some trouble. Yeah, I mean, it was honestly just like the perfect beginning and ending to the Premier League weekend with Arsenal embarrassing themselves on Friday and Spurs being the best team in the league <laughs> by Sunday. Brian, as as our podcast most noted uh, Brentford match attender, uh, were you excited to see Arsenal fall to the Mighty Bees? Yeah, I, I've been to a Brentford match at the old stadium, so you know I'm a I'm a, I've been a I've been a Brentford fan for years, honestly, because <laughs> I I went to whatever their stadium was called before. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Like, look, I'm. I, I think it's good that Brentford are finally in the Premier League. It was fun to watch them kind of beat the pants off of Arsenal and Arsenal to look like they just had no idea what to do. Uh, I like them celebrating like they'd won the league afterwards. Like, good for them. 
Um, but yeah, Arsenal are in so much trouble. Yeah. Like this is. Uh, How I mean, long do you they'll think they'll figure out a way to like fall backwards into like seventh or eighth? But like, don't forget just... winning winning like the League Cup or the FA Cup while they do it. But. Um... How, how long do you think Wendy's uh, favorite manager, Mikel Arteta, is going to last? December, maybe. God, that would be great. I mean, maybe they'll sell Aubameyang to Barcelona uh, because Barcelona have tons of money now, um, I guess. And uh, and then they'll be able to buy a real striker. Maybe they'll <laughs> buy uh, – maybe it'll be them that buys Latara. Or Harry Kane. Maybe uh, Harry Kane will go home. Yeah, maybe he'll return <laughs> to his Arsenal roots. Charlie be happy about that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we didn't talk about this because we've talked about Kane a lot, but, like, he was clearly the elephant in the room the whole match, and <laughs> it definitely looked like City missed him more than we did, and that was just emotionally cathartic after all of his bullshit this summer to see him, you know... His absence. I I never thought. Not by us. Like, if you told me after the Champions League semifinal, like, one of the most cathartic moments you're going to have as Spurs fan in the next three years is going to be Spurs fans singing, are you watching Harry Kane as we beat the league champions? Like, no, I I wouldn't have have guessed that one, but I probably should have because I found it incredibly, incredibly cathartic. And there was something about, I don't know if you guys felt it, but like Son on the on the post game, like just talking about how much you wanted to give back to the fans, which you know is just player talk, I know. But watching him do that and then like immediately accepting blame for not converting as many chances as he should have, or not, you know, like he was talking about how they didn't do it, and instantly he said like I, my, I am like foremost among the people who have not, and that just struck me as such a difference in terms of the way Kane has carried himself throughout all this. For someone who's just like known as like Mr. Professional. It's it's I don't know why. That just stuck in my craw. And I, I I'm I don't know how I'm gonna get back to like loving Harry King because I think there's a very real chance when the game of musical chairs stops he's stuck at Spurs and his only move is to sign an extension with us. But it, it was just you know, I'm kind of fine with this being Son's club now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean I thought the other thing that was interesting about that post game uh, interview at least on American TV was you know he son gets asked about Kane and you know like he gets asked you know is K is Kane going to be able to get back into this team and son's response is yeah of course he's Harry Kane um, so you know like I think it's interesting to look at it from the player's perspective and hear them set you know at least in the media that our players aren't going to be disrespectful to Harry Kane that they you know that they're media trained. I think in Sonny's case, I think he probably was being sincere. Um, but, like, to have them, you know, say, like, look, you know, Harry's still part of this team. Like, as soon as he comes back, like, he'll he'll be in the first of 11, like, whatever. I mean, he's a world-class um, striker. Like, you probably want a guy like that in your team. Yeah. And especially if you're a player um, and you don't care about how the team looks in five years like we do. Yeah. Well, I just think it's interesting is to see how players view this sort of stuff. Like, you know. I, I feel like we've gotten rumblings that. They're not all happy, and we've seen things that suggest that players are tired of Harry Kane's bullshit. And I, like, on the one hand, I kind of would imagine the players would take sort of a, you know, it's all in the game approach. Like, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Like, Harry wants to double his money. We all want to make more money. It is what it is. And then on the other hand, like, Kane is saying, like, you losers are, aren't good enough for me. 
you know, I mean, Dyer, of all people, who went on vacation, I think, with Kane this summer, like, was posting stuff about how it's more than about just one man. There's been a lot of quotes like that, which, yeah, like you said, Ben, I, it's been interesting, I think. And I, I wonder if Kane is burning more bridges than we sort of realized. Do you guys think that this result and this game playing out the way it did affects either Spurs asking price on the transfer or City's desire to meet Spurs asking price? I mean, I think it definitely improves our leverage here. You know? yeah. <laughs> we, we just walked City off the park. It's very hard for them to say, now give us a cut right price on this striker. You know, and say, you need him more than we do. <laughs> like, fucking pay up. Yeah, I mean, City need a striker. It doesn't necessarily have to be Harry Kane, but if they want Harry Kane... I mean, I think, again, and I think we've seen a lot of sort of, you know, I mean, the problem with sort of British transfer reporting is, with the exception of, well, I guess he's not British, but, you know, European transfer reporting, with the exception of Fabrizio Romano, like, it's all very read-between-the-lines, but certainly the impression that I'm getting from reading the news today is what we were sort of getting over last week, which is, do City want him enough to make a bid close to what we want to offer, or are they just like, well, we'll take him if we can get him for, our, you know, $100 million and a signed picture of Laporte? And I'm not convinced they're willing to pay us what we want. Um, you know, we keep seeing reports they're willing to offer 150 million pounds, but nothing's happening. I mean, I hope yeah, we make Kane fine. play in Portugal on Thursday. I, I, I absolutely think we should do that. But make Kane play in Portugal. He does his ankle. We can't sell him. <laughs> yeah, well, Harry Kane ends up hurting himself. I don't see a downside here, Ben. I have like a hundred plus million pounds. <laughs> yeah, I've really talked myself into how good Lautaro Martinez would look uh, in know, that attacking front three. Me too. It's just there is a level at which I don't have a problem with Daniel Levy taking the approach of like, he's got three years left on his contract. Fuck you, pay me. You know, like you want him so bad. Like, I mean, City didn't hesitate on paying a hundred million pounds for Jack Grealish, you know. And Jack, it sure looked like they needed a striker more than Jack Grealish on Sunday. I think the thing... Sorry, go ahead, Brian. Oh, no, I was just going to make a dumb wire joke about the price of a brick going up. Yeah, I so mean, the price can, of the brick can... has definitely gone up. <laughs> so, you, so you can make your real point. Uh, okay. It's gone now. Who's who's Marlowe in this scenario? Uh, is no. Levy? So is the it thing is, like, when we've talked... No, Levy, Levy is, is Marlowe in this okay. scenario. Okay, all, right, all right. He picks up the phone to their sporting director, and he's like, hey, by the way... <laughs> We've talked a lot about like how good everything felt, and you know the absence of Jose Mourinho, his antics and his like toxic cloud over everything, you know makes things enjoyable. And a thing about Kane is, yeah, eventually I'd like grudgingly welcome back into the team, but like I don't want that energy coming back right now. Like it just feels disruptive, you know, to bring him back. Like it's going to be a thing. It's going to Good be annoying. Like I don't want those vibes. But Ben, yeah. what if, what if there's a protest about our sponsor and Harry Kane puts tape over it in a show of solidarity? Because now Harry Kane is Jamie Tart, apparently. So, right, wants to go back to City, but Harry Kane is not interesting <laughs> enough to go on Love Island. That's there's true. No that is true. Yeah, it's there. There's this. I mean, it's it's this. 
the thing I struggle with with Kane is like, you know, one of the reasons I resent him so much is he's throwing away this thing that I think is really rare and cool in football. And I don't know how I'd react if he, even if just because it's forced, he decides to pick it up again. Um, you know, I'm sure if Harry Kane comes back and recommits himself to Spurs and has like two or three more elite seasons for us, I'll find it within me to get over it. But, you know, like, I mean, I saw this discussion on Twitter this week, like, you know, at least since the first last World Cup, and maybe I'm an American, so I'm more sensitive to this, or this bothers me in a way that it doesn't our English um, fans, but, you know, like, I definitely can sense the difference in the way he talks about England, playing for England, than compared to how he talks about playing for Spurs. Like, there's a, there is a very distinct difference in terms of, like, passion and energy and what have you. And, you know, it's, let's say Kane does, like, the musical chair stops, he can't go anywhere else, he comes back to Spurs, he signs an extension, he ends up playing, like, you know, maybe he goes to MLS at the end of his career, but plays the rest of his prime with us, has, like, three or four more elite seasons, you know, like, the best possible case scenario of him staying. You know, I'm still not sure it's going to ever feel the same, because he did this. And, you know, like, I don't, at the end of the day, like, taking a week longer vacation than he should have is not the end of the world, but you know, I think it just, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to entirely come back from outright exposing the lie of he's one of our own. I don't know. If he scores 30 goals this year. We win yeah. I mean, that'll, that'll, sure help. Will. that'll, that'll really help. We're all very fickle. Like, yeah, <laughs> we are. So we absolutely I, are. We seem to have moved on from talking about the game. So I think we've really done uh, our listeners a disservice by not addressing Eric Lamella earlier. Um, so do we want to begin the Sevilla portion of this podcast? Yeah, that's really breaking breaking my heart, Brian, as you as as you uh, go against my boyhood club, Real Betis. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Notice no, noted Real Betis fan. Uh, skipjack. We'll, we'll <laughs> skip over you. Ben and I will just talk about Eric Lamella. You can just uh, cry sadly in the oh. corner. No, yeah, that... listen, to, listen to a guy whose favorite player for years suddenly Greg has turned on him. No, I haven't turned on. I still love it's Eric. Disgusting. I still love Eric. I just hope he doesn't cripple Joaquin when he plays Bet- Betis in a few weeks. But you know, uh, good for it. No, it was I'm great. Very it was. It was very cool. Eric Lamella Sevilla jersey to arrive. <laughs> Do you actually order one? <laughs> no, not yet. Okay, but I will. I, I swear, if he keeps playing like this, I yeah, I, I would order. I might still order one because I love him so much. I mean, Eric Lamella, God bless him. He is even the official Sevilla, which is run probably by some rando in England. Um, the the Sevilla English account was like goading Spurs fans on because he had such a good game. I mean, I I wish Eric Lamella nothing but the best. It makes me extremely happy to see him succeed. I will feel tremendously guilty if he just, like, runs over La Liga this year and would just, like, oh, wow, there's, like, an alternate timeline where Eric Lamella maybe was, like, a phenomenal player. Uh, in another a, a Real Madrid legend or, that we took away <laughs> from the world. Just to have him, like, be injured and, like, step on Cesc Fabregas. <laughs> I mean, Honestly, I don't think Eric Lamella would trade that existence for anything, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I in, think he'd in, be very happy to wind up. To that scenario, Ben, he was beating up on a uh, a Rayo side that was like down to ten men. Is it very good with eleven? So uh, shut up, Greg. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. Like, weirdly enough, the guy who got set off for them was not only Zidane's son, but Zidane's son, who is the keeper for that team. Which is, I don't understand how. Like, you're the son of like the best midfielder in the world, and you become a keeper. Yeah. 
you feel like you have to play football because your dad's a yeah. son of football, so you become a keeper. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't is that the one that Regulon doesn't get along with? I think that's the other one. Okay. Because there's two of them. By the way, good weekend for Regulon. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So yeah, um, no good vibes about Spurs. We play. Uh, Was it Paco de Ferreira on uh, Thursday? Did we talk up? Did we talk enough about Tanganga? No, we didn't. That's that's honestly, you know, for 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 a guy who is, I don't want to leave the fighting cock to make the he doesn't masturbate jokes, but you know, it's he had a God, he had a good performance. He, I really hope we don't. I mean, he's got to be our like maybe not our starting right back, but he's in the rotation now, right? Like, there's no way you, you loan him out after that performance. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a guy that also has a pretty checkered injury history, so you don't want to like. Loans aren't going to fix that, though. I mean, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, you know, like, look, if what you want to do is you want to play those unbalanced fullbacks where Regulon gets forward and you need a defensive option on the right side, he looks comfortable and confident there. Uh, I thought he looked he good doesn't... going forward, too. Like, not like right. as good as Regulon does, but, you know, I thought he looked good. He doesn't look like a center back playing right back. He looks like a right back playing right back. Um, you know, like he, he picked his moments to get forward. Like, you know, he's competent on the ball. Like he played some decent passes. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't think he needs to get better at like, certainly, but sure. Sure. But like, you know, like so we've Kyle seen matches. Yeah. But we've seen matches where we played like Davinson Sanchez at, at fullback because Davinson Sanchez is, you know, athletic and then, you know, ipso facto, he can play fullback. And Davinson just doesn't have the instincts about when to get forward, when to overlap, when to, you know, what to do when he's on the ball, that sort of stuff. Tanganga has all those instincts. He has he has all of that natural understanding of the position, presumably because he's played it at the youth level. He's played it at the reserve level. You know, he's played some of it at, at in the Premier League and, and in cup matches for Spurs before. So. You know, he doesn't feel like a guy playing out of position and you have to, like, grade him on a curve because of that. Like, he was a perfectly competent right back. And, you know, that I especially when you consider what they were throwing at him in terms of Sterling and Grealish both over there, he agreed. I thought Grealish was awful. And I think that had a lot to do with how we played him. Like, I mean, I'm sure it just takes a while to get used to Pep, especially if you're getting used in the way... I'm imagining Pep wants to use Grealish, but like, I don't know about you guys. I was watching this whole match and thinking, like, why'd you spend a hundred million on him before you spent the money you needed on Kane? Like, I understand that it's because he just had a release clause they could activate, but still, like, I mean, he did not look like a hundred million dollar, a hundred million pound player. I mean, City Squad was like a billion dollars, and they didn't look like a billion pound squad. So yeah, but yeah. Not, they don't have birds on their heads. So what's their excuse? I think the Grealish, the I'm just ignoring that. Um, the, the the Grealish moment at the end of the match where he gets in Lucas's face about like making a little bit much of like Grealish kind of nipping at his ankles. I, I I really enjoyed that part of the game where you know the most fouled player in the Premier League committed a foul and then he was mad at somebody for embellishing the severity of the foul slightly. Uh, I thought that was great. Yeah, Grealish is the sort of example of, like, Eric Lamello, where we always said Lamello would be beloved 
if his name was Eric Lamb and he was from like Doncaster or something, whereas like if Grealish was from like you know the Von Day or something, like everyone would just fucking hate him because he was this diver who can't stay on his feet. I mean, yeah, he doesn't wear shin guards and so, or shin pads, whatever we're supposed to call them, and so he's cool. Like honestly, I, I'm amazed he's still able to play football because like. The way he dives, like, that someone like Eric Lamella hasn't just taken it upon themselves to, like, break his legs is genuinely incredible. I mean, he is the most foul player in the league and one of the most insufferable players in the league and doesn't wear shin pads. Like, that combination is just a recipe for he has, he has leg breaks. the worst hair in professional sports, which is saying something. No. Yes! No, his no. hair looks like Birdman. Like, he's, he's got, not like, even a, in the top ten. You know, that meme of, like, that meme of Nick Nick Cage with a, like, eagle for hair is, like, what his hair looks like when he's out on the field. It's awful. Jack Phillips no. is fine. No. No, no, no. <laughs> that, that hair is terrible. He looks like Keira Knightley and Ben, ben like, Beckham. Like... Yeah, Kieran Elliott looks good. I don't know what you're talking about. Jack Grealish is like, I, I don't think you should be the one throwing shade at Jack Grealish's style choices, Greg. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm very stylish. <laughs> I don't We've make my hair look like a bird, so, you know. Oh, just awful. Just an awful, awful human being. Wear some shin guards. Stop falling over. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Oh, are you guys looking for – before we wrap it up, are, are we excited to see us play Watford next week? Are we excited for Nuno's revenge against – or against Wolves, rather? Wolves. It's not Watford, yeah. We play Watford after that. Yeah, we do, actually. Yeah, I'm just getting my W's confused. I, I, I am interested to see us play a team where we might be a little bit more on the front foot. I just want to see what that looks like because I don't know – I think there's certain things we can take away from that game last weekend, but I – don't know how much you can take away in terms of like what Spurs is going to look like this year, and I think we're going to get a much better idea of that against Wolves. And I honestly didn't even watch Wolves this weekend, so I guess they lost. So, but I have they, no idea. They played Leicester pretty well, and they were a lot more kind of explosive and fun than. At least the Nuno Wolves of last year, which was just a turgid mess. Um, like they were, well, they had Jimenez back, right? They were up for it, and like you know, I don't, I don't think they're going to play the same kind of stodgy football that we maybe come to expect from Wolves. But I guess Spurs fans really haven't seen that side of Wolves because we always manage to throw away late leads as they like blitz us for three goals yeah. in the 80th minute. That was, like, the funny thing about hiring Nuno is everyone was like, oh, he's kind of dour. I'm like, mm, that doesn't – like, at least with the Spurs-Wolves match I've watched, that's generally not what I remember. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they're still playing a Neves and Moutinho midfield, so maybe maybe we'll be able to do some stuff against them. I don't know. Well, hopefully the Celso's fit. Hopefully Ndombele will work his way back in the team, although I'm not incredibly Seems hopeful unlikely. that'll happen, so – I don't know. I mean, look, if they're going to give us narrative matches for the first two games of the season, we might as well come out, you know, and kick narrative's ass. Like, yeah, that's... fair enough. Fair enough. I'm, I'm interested to see because we're still we're getting a lot of team fit, so I think we don't have a great feel for um, what our uh, squad's going to look like for that match. I mean, you know, even the Paco de Ferreira match, like, 
I mean, I, I'm curious to see is Scarlet going to get a start? Like, how how youth team are we going to be with this? I mean, it's I think it's technically a qualifier, so we might be a little more safe with it than we would like us to yeah. be. I think I think you have to play, you know, because it's a one and done, right? So no, no, it's, it's yeah. two legged, but it's this one's in Portugal, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think then you gotta you gotta go out and you know do what you can to get a good result in that first leg then. And you have to play some of the first teamers so that for at home you can play like a Dane Scarlet or an Alfie Divine or or whatever. So but I think you'll you know, see rotate some of those a little guys. bit. I think you'll see some of those guys. I mean, I would hope you see guys like Skip in, in this match just to give him more like yeah. some more run out. But that's probably going to depend a lot on like how fits Lacelso. How you know are we going to play in Dombele like stuff like that. See well, a little bit. Of, not registered yeah. for this match. No, I meant I meant sorry, I meant against Wolves. Oh. So sorry. Yeah. yeah. So so we'll see. I think I think we'll see a pretty strong team against Paco de Ferreira because I don't know. I mean, you know, they're not a fake team. Like what was our other option? We could play some Northern Irish team. I mean, they're not that fake, but they're a fake team. Like I, I mean, say I say before they beat us, but yeah, like Yeah. I look, they're they're uh, the team that Paulo Fonseca took to prominence. So narrative again, guys. This is just going to be the most narrative season ever, um, especially yeah, when we beat Danny we, Rose at Watford. And yep. then, we're going to have play Jose Jose Mourinho's Roma in the Europa Conference League finals. No, it'll be really funny when we play Jose Mourinho's uh, Roma in the Conference League, except they've already fired Jose Mourinho. So, well, I, Roma is not known for making smart decisions, so they'll probably keep him around a lot longer than they should. So here's a here's a fun question to end this podcast on. Are you guys looking forward to the next Tottenham Hotspur match, Ben? Absolutely. Is it, I feel like it's been a while since you said that. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm stoked. Brian, are you are you pumped? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I'm 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 all in on this. This has been fun. Yeah, it's been. I don't know. It, it, it's different, and maybe it'll all go haywire. But at least for a week, like it was everything you hoped it would be. So I mean, I'm looking at our schedule, and we got Wolves, Watford, and Palace next. Like we could be, you know, top of the table and before we play on nine eleven. Yeah. <laughs> right, do we play Chelsea on nine eleven? No, we play Palace on nine eleven. Oh, then okay. we play Chelsea and Arsenal back to back in our title decider, and then to relegate Arsenal. God, I would really love to. I mean, we're not we're never going to actually relegate Arsenal, but if we could just get Arsenal's manager fired, that would be fucking great. Where are where are Arsenal fans on the, uh, the at least your your Arsenal fans, Ben? Where are they on the fire Arteta scale? I think they are losing losing patience with Arteta, but also skeptical. I think they mostly are pissed off with their front office and Kroenke and Adu and all the people making the decisions, and they still feel that you know he is being undermined by people who aren't going out there and buying him. Odegaard and a new striker and you know where where are the signings we spent 50 million on Ben White you couldn't even get the Aaron Ramsdale deal deal done how is Mikel Arteta supposed to manage without Aaron Ramsdale um but I I I think I think the shine is is definitely come off so they're at the point where they know in their hearts that it's it's a failure but they they're convincing themselves it's not I think that's how I'd describe it. Okay. Let's just hope they go with Thierry Henry as their next manager and let's 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 truly get the bloom off the rose at Arsenal. 
I, I thought one, one, one quick thing, one, one quick thought I want to wrap this podcast on since we're talking about Arsenal. Uh, I was listening to some. Oh, Brian muted himself. Yeah. Himself. You can't prove that I was trying to talk to you guys. I was mumbling into the ether. <laughs> One, one quick about thought. Greg's I was numerous to, attempts to try to end this podcast. No, I was listening to some podcast that was talking about the ESL and how what a joke it was that Arsenal was included. And I thought about how funny it was because, like, ten years ago or fifteen years ago, Arsenal was absolutely one of the biggest clubs in the world, and now they're like more of a punchline than Spurs. So, you know, whatever else we've accomplished, we've accomplished that. We're not as big a punchline as Arsenal. I mean, Brentford fans singing "You're just a shit Tottenham Hotspur" as they beat <laughs> Arsenal was—I mean, insulting to us too, but pretty funny. I'll take what I can get at this point after the last two years. Yeah, we could be collateral damage in Arsenal's misery. That's fine. <laughs> On that note, I think it is time to wrap it up. Uh, visit our podcast feed, which isn't that new, but I keep calling it new at WDR Podcast. That's WDR, as in Real Dealer Radio. Leave us a nice review on iTunes or your podcast form of choice. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. I can't believe I forgot to bring this up, but I think I have to now after that. I'm not going to Brian, you have to get a Brian Hill jersey. He's, I'm not going to do it. It says Brian on the back. Like, What's wrong with I'm you? I'm going to look like more of an idiot than I do normally. Ben, where can people find you on the internet buying your Brian Hill jersey? Uh, you can find me at Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. <laughs> and you can find me tweeting about Brian Hill jerseys at Skipjack0079. That is double O with two zeros. Uh, for Ben, for Brian, for everyone with a Brian Spurs jersey, and for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>